Welcome to Reflections from the Heart, presented by Stewardship, a mission of faith. Reflections from the Heart with your host, David Abel, is an outreach of Gospel Reflection, a ministry of Stewardship, a mission of faith. For the next 30 minutes, please join David as he breaks open the bread of life in the Gospel reading for Sunday's Mass. And as the same Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers, inspires us today with the truths he reveals to our hearts through his word. Now, here's David with Reflections from the Heart. Hello and welcome to Reflections from the Heart. My name is Rob Longo with Stewardship and Mission of Faith. And I'm here today with three of my compadres, Don Gleichman, Tom Terrace, and Tom DeAngelis. How are you guys doing? Hey, Good. Rob. Welcome. Great. All right. Good to be here with you guys. And uh, our brother David, who's usually here, is uh, is uh, is not with us today. So David, we miss you and uh, we look forward to, to your return. But for those of you who are new to Reflections from the Heart, it's a gospel reflection. And you might be saying, what is a gospel reflection? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's not a Bible study. It's a reflection where we break open the gospel that we will hear this coming Sunday. And we just ask the Holy Spirit what uh, what word or phrase or you know something that um, you know is going to jump out at you? Just ask the Holy Spirit to guide your heart and uh, and, and your thoughts around a, a certain part of the gospel, and, and you just open up and share. So the four of us will do that here in the studio, and we invite you as well as we read the gospel, just to listen to that word or that phrase and um, and just chew on that and reflect on on that. And if you're with anybody listening, you, know, you guys can just go back and forth uh, and, and, and join us uh, together, even though we're not all here. But if you want to start one or join one, get in touch with us here at Stewardship and Mission of Faith, and uh, we'll either plug you into an existing group, point you in, the, in that direction, or if you want to start one at your parish, in your business, in your home, uh, we can help you get that underway as well. But before we jump into the gospel, Don, would you open us up with a prayer, please? Surely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We thank you, loving, gracious, merciful Father, for your Son, the embodiment of your love and your mercy to us, especially during this Easter season. We thank you for last Sunday, our Divine Mercy Sunday, and for all the days in which we can walk in your will, learn from you, and from our fellow disciples on the walk. I'd like to have you help us start on one of the prayers in, in our prayer book called The Prayer for Abandonment, which, which, I, which I really like to have a lot. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord. And so I need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are my Father. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Don, thank you so much for uh, for suggesting that prayer. And this is obviously a, a daily prayer. And, and that can be put in your own words, just, just the whole idea of surrendering, right? Each day, each moment, surrender to... Uh, to our Lord, you know, it's the, the, the all-in prayer, right? The all-in prayer. Uh, so, Tom, if you could lead us sure, with the gospel. Let, let everybody know where it is in case they're in a spot where sure, they have a Bible. Sure, uh, it's Luke 
chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped, looking downcast. One of them, named Clopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some of the women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the woman had described, but him that they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all the, that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter it into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that, while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then he then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise you, Lord, you, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Tom so, is, so this was the first Bible study. Yeah, so I was just thinking that. A seven-mile gospel Jesus, reflection. Jesus <laughs> led them in a conversation about the story that predicted him in the Bible, which was all Old Testament at that time. And he didn't have to carry the scrolls with him. You know, He was just doing it from memory, which means he was a pretty good rabbi. He'd really studied pretty well. But he just, he just revealed things to them. And a friend was telling me this morning, about a Bible study they have at their house of uh, evangelical Christians uh, and Catholics who get together each on each Tuesday night. And the other evening, the one lady said she thought that she was beginning to understand the Bible, but she wished she had someone who could sort of put it together for her. And they were talking about—he didn't tell me exactly where it was, but he— he actually was a, is quite a good apologist himself, and he just started in the Old Testament and came all the way through the New Testament in about 15 minutes with this lady, 
and her eyes were totally open. She just said, whoa, that all fits together. It makes so much sense. You know, the old St. Augustine phrase, mm. the Old Testament is concealed in the New and the New Testament yeah. is revealed in the Old. She saw that. And here Christ is revealing himself and the way he fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. And uh, obviously your friend just didn't kind of wing it. You know, he's, uh, you know, to be able to concisely tell the story of salvation in, in 15 minutes, it's something that you have to be a person of prayer and preparation and, and, and in the word. Uh, but I think we need to be ready for that, right? Because, exactly. you know, to, it's easy to go on and on and on and ramble on and on and on, but to concisely give a little overview takes a lot of time and prayer and, uh, and just knowing our Lord and Savior. So it's, uh, it's awesome that he did that. But I think we need to be prepared for that to, exactly. to give the, you know, it says in Scripture, give the reason for our hope. And the salvation story is the reason for our hope. That's, that's, that's really cool. I think one of the things to notice here, too, from, uh, you know, from Jesus's behavior is, uh, you know, he doesn't start out by um, reprimanding them or he, he asks questions. You know, what, what are you what are you talking about? What are you discussing on the way? And then, you know, they're kind of surprised and he, you know, he continues on oh, what sort of things. And then they go. And, and the other interesting thing is he lets them lay out the whole scenario the way they see it. And then he explains to them the way that it should be interpreted because they're, you know, they're, as you look, th read through this, you know, we were hoping he would be the one that would be the savior. Well, he is, but you just didn't understand what the salvation was that he was after. We were hoping he would be the one that would, you know, free Israel, you know, and, and do all these worldly things. And, you know, the, and the other thing is when he finally hears the story he kind of, he kind of holds them accountable. You know, you're how foolish you are. You know how slow of heart. Um, you know, I often thought that was kind of a tough way to. You know, the, you're just you, you walk up and you start talking with these people and you're asking them what. Our grandparents' time, they would say, "You do not." I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're talking to these people. You're asking them what you know. It's a little traveling companionship here, and you're asking them what they're talking about, and they tell you, and then you and then you say, you know, how foolish you are. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but but uh, but this is this is how God reveals. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes He whacks us up the side of the head and says, "You're not seeing this right," you know. But but we're responsible for that too. I think that's a that's an important part of it. We're not just uh, you know we can't just look at it and say, "Well, I didn't know any better," you know. And these two who were not well informed by the way you discussed it right then, it's kind of interesting. One of them was named Cleopas, and you know who Cleopas was? He was the father yeah. of Barnabas. Yeah. He knew what was going on. He was he was pretty well acquainted with what Jesus had been telling the disciples. The father of Barnabas. And he didn't know. And but when you look at when Jesus says, Okay, what sort of things they went through and told an amazing story. Right. Yeah. But then you go back, they looked downcast. So they had they were exposed to mm -hmm. the amazing testimony of people that you know, saw Jesus that went to the tomb, it was empty, and he rose from the dead, yet they're walking seven miles in the other direction to, <laughs> you know, to Emmaus, and they're looking downcast. Mm -hmm. And I know for my life sometimes, you know, you get on these highs, right? These, you know, God gives you a nice heavenly kiss and, and you experience some beautiful joy, and then, and then you get into a, you know, little bit of desolation yeah. and, and you're downcast, right? So that's, that's, that's my life sometimes, right? Where, Jesus, like all these, I can say, oh, Jesus showed up here in my life. He, he did this. He did this. And then it's like, well, Jesus over here. You know, would you forget about me? I'm, I'm still here. I, you know, I look downcast. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we can't. Uh, 
you know, that's what the beautiful thing about hope is, you know, you don't get too high with the highs, too low with the lows. It's just, you know, hope, hope is always, is always there. They said um, we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. He was the one to redeem Israel. And, you, and the but world. they were expecting that he would redeem Israel in a certain way, and therefore right. they totally missed it. Yeah. Right. That, what do we yeah. expect? I, I thought it was interesting also that there were, early in Jesus' ministry, four things he did. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. And those four things, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it, were the things that let them immediately recognize, oh, this is the guy. This is him. Oh, this is him. That was the thing that let them recognize it. Mm. And it said that was how they made uh, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So this, you know, these, these guys weren't apostles, right? They're, they're disciples, but That's not right. apostles. So this was their first communion. Oh, yeah. Right, you think of the apostles. Their first communion was yeah. at the Last Supper. This was this was their first Holy Communion here with mm-hmm. uh, with our Lord, the presiding priest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, giving his his own flesh and blood to to these two guys. Yeah, the cool. one sentence that jumped out at me was as they approached the village to which they were going. He gave the impression he was going on farther. So it just seems like in you know my life, the immediacy of whatever you're doing, that's what's on my mind. But with Jesus, it's you know, eternity, yeah. you know, like that's what the real goal is, you know, like something f- farther. It's just not right here. Yeah. I remember sharing something with a, with a priest, not my f- spiritual director, but on occasion go to him for, for direction. And, uh, I was laying this thing out and I was like, oh man, but I don't want this people, this person to hurt you know, go through suffering. I'd rather take it. He's like, well, who are you? Who, this, who are you to prevent them from suffering, right? This might be God's plan, allowing this for them to grow closer to him. And in 10,000 years, he's like, look at the 10,000-year vision. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't think about it. But sometimes mm-hmm. when we're stuck, like you're saying, Tom, when we're in the midst of a situation and uh, you know other people are involved, sometimes it's easier for us to take to take some hits. But when we're trying to protect mm-hmm. others from taking hits— yeah, we, we forget. And that. it's almost like they were sort of like looking at for that immediate moment, this person to redeem Israel right now. Mm. And Jesus is, I'm going to take you farther yeah. into eternity. You know, that's what I came to do, not to establish, you know, a, a new kingdom here, but somewhere else. Yeah. It isn't as if he comes to push himself on us, but rather he wants us to invite him. Oh, yeah, to yeah. with us. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Cause, and that's what it, I, I circle that. They urged him. And then, in quotes, stay with us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So Jesus is the gentleman, right? That in our lives, like you're mm-hmm. saying, Don, he is waiting for that invitation. He stands at the door and knocks. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no, there's no doorknob on the outside, right? So he's waiting for us. Like you know, these guys urged him to stay. So Lord, I urge you, please stay with me in my family. Stay with me in my in my business. Stay with me in my school. Stay with me with my sports. Whatever aspect of life. Or involved in or engaging in at the time, Jesus is waiting for that invitation to yeah. to come and stay. And you said that ten thousand year vision, and I got immediately flashed to Amazing Grace. You know, when we've been dead ten thousand years, yeah. we've no less days to live out in eternity. But the other thing too that kind of jumped out at me as we were talking through this, I came to realize, you know. They're laying out the story here for Jesus. We thought he was going to be this, he was going to be that. And Jesus says, how foolish you are. And on one hand, I thought that was a little rough. On the other hand, when you think back on the scriptures, on the gospels in particular, Jesus pretty much said everything that was going to happen. 
He told them about the resurrection. He told them he was going to suffer and die. He told them about the bread of life. You know, so everything that that happened, they were told. And really, from that perspective, you look at it kind of from Jesus's point of view, and you say, well, they should have known. You know, they should they shouldn't have thought that he continued to think that he was going to be a worldly leader or that. You know, how come everybody's so surprised that he rose from the dead? He was talking about that. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised a, a little girl from, that was dead. He raised a, a young man whose mother was, was without um, from the dead. To, for him to say he's the resurrection and the life, you know, what, what, why, was it, why were they so surprised? So mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's a little rough when you think about just joining this party here. At the other hand, you look at it from Jesus' perspective and say, how much more could I have told them? You know, how much more, how much clearer could I have been that they didn't get this? You know, mm-hmm. so um, and, and the, the reason why I bring that up in particular is because we have even more evidence more saints, more scripture, scriptural understanding, more background, more time to reflect. And, and we still have problems sometimes believing he is who he is, you know? Yeah, because we often say, oh, but if I was back in their time. Oh, yeah, I would have believed. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. That's, that's true. We have, we have 2,000 years worth of, of yeah. proof. One thing that I, I think about frequently is we must make Christ the center of our lives, Instead of making our lives and then see if we can find a place for God someplace, yeah, fit you know, him in, right? Let's yeah. give him some time. Let's give him. Let's give him a little bit. Let's do some things he wants us to. And that was exactly what happened with Israel when God said, basically at the end of the book, He says, "There are two things: you just have to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, and love your fellow man as yourself." Well, Moses took a little bit longer way to do that. He had ten commandments. The Israel the Israelites did not take the Ten Commandments literally. What they did was they said, "No, well, if that's not something I ought to do, how close can I get to doing the wrong thing without it being a violation?" So they ended up with 613 rules and regulations, and that was what the, all the rules and regulations were that yeah. the Jews had created. Instead of, do we create rules and regulations? Do we create an administrative nightmare for ourselves in religion, or? Do we look at the simple fact that we should love our fellow man, forgive them as we would ask God to forgive us, and actually be forgiving and loving and humble in the way we approach things? And I find that often I am total failure as far as it comes to being humble or detaching myself from the world, whereas that's exactly what we're called to do, detach ourselves. Mm. And because Christ was not what they thought he was going to be. That was why they didn't recognize him. You know, Don, there's one thing that, and I, I agree with you 100%, detaching ourselves from the world. One of the things I think I've picked up from reading Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, is we become detached from the world by becoming attached to God. And so the real way to do that, because you can't really detach yourself, it's hard to negative. do the do the negative, mm-hmm. but you, you become detached because you... You work hard to bring yourself closer to God. And then the other thing that, you know, in, in adoration frequently comes to me and, I, I you know, I pray to God that, it, that I carry it in my head out, outside is that it's not so much about loving my neighbor as it is loving God so deeply and so profoundly and so in such a way that affects my life that it's it just spills over. Like when I walk out of the chapel 
it's just spills over into other people's like they are looking at me and they're saying there's something godly about that person now i'm not saying i'm there you know because i'm certainly not but that's really one of the ways i think if you if you study you know the mystics they say it's about it's it's all about god and then and then it spills over into your life you love everybody because you love god and and that's really that makes a unity out of the thing you know like i can envelop everybody around me because i have this love for god it's not i love god and then i have this other job i got to do i got to love my neighbor you know it's it just spills out of your love for god because we're, you know we're all brothers and sisters we're all you, know, you start to think about that relationship differently in terms of you know how I, how i can forgive people how i can accept pain and suffering in my life even if it's you know caused by other people sometimes you, it's not sometimes it is but and as you're striving yeah. to become that person then you become like jesus who appears in people's lives just as he did to these people yeah, so all of a sudden yeah. someone who is hurting or whatever you know there you are you know trying to live closer to god and then you're able to be jesus for that person right. just as he was yeah. you know to these people so you can god can use you you it's, know, yeah. uh, in other people's lives, uh, to be another him in a right. sense. You know, it's a great gift to be able to see it. But you know, I pray for even a greater gift to be able to carry that out into your life, to be able to do that in such a way that it just hap- You just, you know, you find yourself doing that with people without even intending to do it. It's not a job anymore. It's not a commandment. It's just. It just pours out of you because because of your love for God. You know, it, you you see everything as love of God. Everything that you do. And a, a friend of mine always encourages me. He said, "Don't shove God down anyone's throat. All right? Yeah. Don't shove God. Just be like you said, Tom. Just be Jesus. Be Jesus. Don't talk about him. Don't you know? Just be Jesus." He yeah. didn't push people. He pulled them. And that's what, uh, you know, our, at our spiritual retreat, Monsignor Asif was always saying, you are Jesus. Oh, yeah. you, you know, and he said that statement might freak some people out. He didn't say that exact phrase, but, you know, that you are Jesus. And and, and a lot of it comes down to focus. I just, just wrote a note, I think, looking back at, you know, we're not our hearts burning within us. So what are we focusing on? The things of the world that give us heartburn <laughs> or yeah. the things of Jesus that make our heart burn within us. Mm. Love and joy and peace, just him and imitating him and bringing him into every aspect of life through our actions. You know, there's a, a guy from Nigeria that was at a gospel reflection group earlier this week, and he was just saying, we, we talk too much. We do a good job speaking about the faith. We, can need, we need to start doing. We need to, we need to do. We need to do. We need to act. Because if we say we know Jesus and we don't do, and we don't act, is it real? All right, so the, the yeah. fruit of our prayer should be an active apostolate, active ministry, even if it's not a formal ministry, just the ministry of the moment, every every moment that we're alive. You know, mm-hmm. is, is, a, is, a, is an opportunity to pray, to do. This past week I was at a couple schools, you know, we just celebrated Don in, in the opening prayer. You, you referenced Divine Mercy Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I had an opportunity to bring the image of Divine Mercy into mm-hmm. to some grade schools. And uh, and it was really cool to see the reaction to the Divine Mercy image. And I would just say, what do you, what do you notice? And, and they would tell me some things. And uh, the one thing that just um, kept coming over and over again was Jesus is walking. He's walking towards me, right? So mm-hmm. when I think of the seven-mile walk that these guys had with Jesus, 
this road to Emmaus, you know, he met them there. And, and Jesus in that image is, is his feet are, you know, staggered. So he's walking. You see a little bend in his knee and he's, you know, moving his robe. The red and white rays are coming out. His divine mercy, his hands in a blessing. And mercy is a gift, right? Mercy isn't anything that we earn. Mercy is a gift. And he's walking towards each and every one of us with that gift. And he loves us so much that he, he stops there. Just like these guys. Like he, if they didn't invite him, he would have, you know. He wouldn't have barged in just like our lives. Then it's up to us. We can't earn it, but it's a gift that needs to be accepted. Mm-hmm. It needs to be received. It needs to be lived and shared. Um, and these little guys and gals this week, when they saw that image, you know, I, I did it last week as well. It's uh, it's just beautiful for them to, to see, you know, and, mm-hmm. and really uh, take a picture from just something on a, on a canvas to what does that mean to you? Yeah, so it was it was cool. So, thank you, Lord, for the gift of your mercy. What a what a gift. Yeah, I've often thought that that image, um, for years when it was out and it started showing up in churches everywhere, I didn't really pay much attention to it. I mean, I thought it's another, you know, icon to reverence. It's another, you know, and I didn't know much about the Divine Mercy Chaplet or anything like that. But then, over the years, one of the priests that I that I worked with was actually a spiritual director, Father Ogden, who's passed on, but. He started giving me um, penances and challenges around the divine mercy. And so the more time I spent in front of the image, praying the chaplet, uh, reading about the divine mercy, you know, St. Faustina and, and that whole experience, the more I came to understand more deeply. And then with Pope John Paul saying that this is this is the message for our time, that what God wants everybody to know is about, is about his mercy. You know, and that this is sort of like the end time, and you need to know this because this is your this is your ticket. You know, this is mm-hmm. this is how I extend my life to you. You embrace it from me and share it with everybody else. That's that's how we grow in relationship with them. So and yeah. there's and that picture isn't um, scary. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people are afraid yeah. of God. You know, to go with them to to with their sins, but that yeah. one isn't so inviting. That image. Yeah. And Jesus is you know, obviously brilliant, right? So when he had Faustina have the image painted, out of all the words that he could have asked her to include, he asked her to include Jesus, I trust in you, right? So, and he said, have him hang it up everywhere, every, every home, every school, everywhere, have it hanging up. Because if someone sees that, you're not just seeing it, you're going to read it. Mm-hmm. And when you read it, you've just said a prayer, right? So you might yeah, not have prayed yeah. in a while, Jesus, I trust in you. But out of all the <laughs> words he could have picked, Jesus, I trust in you. Because he's hanging on the cross saying, trust in my mercy, trust in my mercy. I did this for you because when we don't trust, what might we do with the sins? We might keep them, right? And mm-hmm. then they won't be able to be forgiven because that's the only sin he can't forgive is the one that we keep. So Jesus, I trust in you. So everyone listening, if you can't think of a prayer to pray, if you're, if you're dry, if you're in desolation, Jesus, I trust in you. Amen. 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 Reflections from the Heart has been presented by Stewardship, a Mission of Faith. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged as you listen to Reflections from the Heart. If so, you might consider participating in a Gospel Reflection Group. For information on locations and times of Gospel Reflection Groups, or how to start a Gospel Reflection Group in your area, please visit our website at stewardshipmission.org and click on Gospel Reflection Groups. 
or call us at 717-367-0100. Stewardship, a mission of faith, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and depends on donations from people like you to make Reflections from the Heart possible. If you enjoyed this broadcast, please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting our website or calling us at 717-367-0100. On behalf of David and the staff here at Stewardship, a Mission of Faith, thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless, protect, and guide you on your journey home to Him. Thank you.